In today's episode, Mark and I will finish our conversation about obedience and we'll talk about how a father cultivates and curates obedience in the home. And now here comes the part where I say, and this is Abraham's wallet. And this is Abraham's wallet. Join us weekly and create a culture in your family of multi-generational prosperity, spiritually, relationally, physically, intellectually, and financially. Run your home, your dough, like a biblical boss. Forgive me, Mark, as I give an introduction. Uh, this sounds strange to like give an introduction to the whole series before we start part three of this series. But I just, I just want to reiterate for people that we think that there are um, values. I don't know how to better a better word than that. There are like character traits that have to be present for you to be successful in any of the things that we tell you to do on Abraham's wallet. So it doesn't matter whether you have the best theories about how to run your insurance and your retirement. If you don't have, you know, say faithfulness, for instance, then it doesn't really matter what your theories are or if you know the right answers to the questions. So we, from time to time, we hit on like these character principles and we've done, uh, we've done episodes on like responsibility before, because that shows up. It's just going to show up. If you're a dad, it's going to show up in what you're trying to um, reproduce in your children, et cetera. So that's why we're taking the time to to walk through this series. Uh, I'm not going to use the word because I'm going to, I know that everybody knows the word that we've been talking about it for three weeks. And it was on the title that you clicked on if you looked at the title. Um, but I'm going to lead up to it because, uh, I don't know, it feels more dramatic to me. So this thing, this thing that we're talking about right now, I sometimes feel like we, we have to, there's a hole in the dike, you know, the little boy, the little, uh, what is he, where is he from? He's from Holland. He's from Amsterdam. He puts his thumb in the dike because there's these holes in the dike that the that the church machine, the institution of like the church place you go to on the weekends, they don't have as much of an interest in like making sure that your family is ironclad and is running correctly. And dad is running that thing with high integrity and excellence because they build their systems around the assumption that these things aren't being done well. So, well, we'll help fill the gaps. And so I feel like some of what we do is we're kind of, we kind of plug holes that are left for people, um, from their, from their kind of church house place. So like the subject that we're talking about, and, and I, I mentioned this, I think last week, but I just finished a several week training class on this subject for teenagers. We had 60 kids, 12 to 18 year olds training them on this subject. And, and there was such relief and delight in the room because we're talking so frankly about these things. And I'm, I'm pleading and begging with some of the things that you're going to hear today. And people feel so refreshed because these things aren't talked about. Um, one of the reasons is because it can be kind of hard to talk about this kind of a little uncomfortable and you can feel poked in the chest a little bit like, Hey, lay off. But I think we find scripturally, this is such a basic necessity that we've just got to push it forward. No, that's the end of my caveating. I'm ready to jump in. Is there anything you would like to say before I start rambling? No, I would just say there are, there are church houses that are talking about this and digging into this. So don't completely give up, um, if you're on the hunt, but, uh, yeah, for the most part, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. So here's, here's my little, this is my promotional video for the whole concept here. Here it is. There, there is one skill that has to do with all things kingdom of God. They have to do with these very um, high touch skills of relationship and kind of sensing God's presence and hearing his voice as well as the very high touch, 
high practicality things that we talk about around here all the time. And this, without this one skill, these other things fall on their face. I believe that what I'm going to talk about today in, we've already talked about this for yourself, but in, in reproducing your family is more foundational. Get ready for this one. Big drum roll is more foundational than hearing God's voice. I I believe that I could defend that. It's more important than knowing how to minister to somebody or know how to pray healing for somebody. I think it's more important, get ready, than knowing how to pray this thing. I think it is more foundational and important than all Bible knowledge put together. And it's a skill that can be practiced and mastered. It's not just an idea. It's a skill that you have to practice at a lot. So drum roll, you know, you know what it is. It is obedience. That is, and I wanted to set that up that way so that you can understand how important this concept is for your relationship with God. We have a lot of passages in the Bible where God says, my measuring stick for who you are with me is whether you obey me. He actually says in Genesis 22 uh, with a guy we like around here named Abraham in verses 18 and 19, he says, you know what I like about this guy? Obedience. You know why I chose this guy? Obedience. It's so super important to your, I'm, I want you to just consider this, your life with God. And yet oftentimes we think that it's kind of a um, extracurricular add-on in our homes. I mean, I know that I need to obey God. And I think that's really important. But as far as my children, you know, being like hop to obedience, yeah. I think what's more important is that they feel loved. That's that's mostly modern Americanism, is that we want our children to feel affirmed and loved more than we want them to obey. And I know, as I'm talking, I'm going to be grazing very, very closely to sacred cows. I mean, I know that we just spent a lot of time talking about the firestorm of the Duggar world. And so I know that to even suggest that teaching our children to obey would be anywhere near the idea of them feeling loved, prized, and adored in our homes. What the heck do you think you're talking about? Well, I would just say, give me a little time to tease it out. So number one, there's one command in the Bible given to fathers with regards to their children. There's one. And it doesn't say, fathers, love your children, or make them feel loved, or hug them regularly. The command is not, make sure your children are told they're awesome every day. The command is not, let your children know that they're approved no matter what they do. It's not, be kind or super sweet, or listen to their dreams, or affirm their vision for their life, or buy them toys at Christmas, or take them on amazing adventures, or make sure that they see a beach by age five. None none of that stuff is the command of the Bible. There's one command given to dads in the Bible. Mark? Well, the one that comes to mind is, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. There you go. Teach them the discipline and instruction of the Lord is you're teaching them to obey. You teach them to obey. Fathers, teach your children to obey. And you bring them up in the instruction of the Lord and the discipline. Discipline means you do what is said. And I would add on to this, to do it immediately, to do it joyfully, and to do it without question. That's the best way, and and a a great reference point for, is that okay to say about the way that you deal with your children? Okay, the way that you figure figure that out is say, is that the best way for me to deal with God? 
Is the best thing for me to obey him immediately? Definitely. Ask Jonah. Is the best thing for me to uh, obey him joyfully? No question. That honors him. Is the best thing for me to obey him without question? Yes, it is. And what happens often is that he explains things to us after the fact. For instance, he told Abram to move to a land that he did not know. And Abram said yes, and he started moving. And God's like, I like this guy. And as time went on, explanation came to him. We modern Westerners, Americans, we want to understand things before we obey them. And we raise children who want to understand things before they obey them. I would suggest that that's out of order, that obedience comes first and then understanding. So when are you going to give me a chance to jump in here and just say, just start, just talk for the love. I, I see this so frequently from people who really love their kids where they think, okay, it's time for me to step in and help this kid, uh, kind of get whatever we're trying to accomplish done, whether that's like get through a grocery shopping and the kid is throwing a tantrum or they can be older and it could be something, you know, different but so often i see the okay let me explain to you why i am going to require Absolutely. this of you and it's like the kid now holds the 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 family hostage and it is like as long as i don't grasp the notion that's being explained to me we yes. can't move on so i i am in charge now and yes. you know it, it's it's destructive. I just, I I wish I could give you 10 examples of this. Um, but we are, I don't know, maybe you're not Steven. I'm tempted to do this still because sometimes my kids act like little smart adults. And I think you're a reasonable person, right? I would love to explain this to you because if you could see it from my point of view, you would go, Oh yeah, this is going to help our family. And you know, so I'm tempted to do this too, whether it's with a four-year-old or an eight-year-old, or a 13-year-old, I think the the admonition here is, please don't, uh, don't make assent to whatever you're asking. Uh, like, don't, it doesn't have to get to where the kid's like, oh, okay, I finally get it. Right. Now I understand. I mean, this is true of so many things we've talked about on the podcast, where there's a lie out there that goes, if the one opposing us just understood us, yeah. they would love us and they right. would love to do what we're, we're doing. Uh, that's not always true. And sometimes you have to be comfortable saying, nope, this is the way we're going. Get in line if you're part of, part of the train that I'm leading. Or if you're, if you're not in my domain, that's fine. Then I don't care that you don't like what I'm doing, but I'm still doing it. That's great. We we must not think that when we are faced with a disobedient child, our next move is to try to persuade them. Uh, Our next move should be, we must train this child in obedience because if you go to the place you're describing, Mark, where it's, I must persuade my child until they give mental assent to what I want to do, you are training a rebel who will carry that rebellion into all sorts of relationships, but not leastly, I promise you'll to carry it, this one into their relationship with God. Yeah. Where if he tells them to do anything they cannot understand, they will dig their heels in and wait and say, until you can explain this to me, God, I'm not moving. You don't want to put your children in that position. You, you are uh, setting them up for a lot of pain, and I have to say, you know, the, the, the journey that God took his people through in the wilderness, it, was a, it took 40 years to get through. If they had walked straight from point A to point B, it would have been an 11-day journey. It took them 40 years because the Lord had a rebellious generation and he waited out there until they died off. That's what he said. Don't put your children in a position where it's going to take them 40 years to go the distance that God wanted to take them in 11 days because you have trained them to be a rebel. Don't do that. Maybe 
this is maybe just a sidebar for your upcoming What the Church podcast. You could do an yeah. episode on this. I would love to hear 10 minutes of Stephen on this phenomenon. But I'm going to say that when we raise children that, that have become accustomed to, I get to understand everything before I go along That's with right. it, then we actually create a church that's, that approaches culture in the same way. So when we look at some of the, the wild stuff going on in culture, the church has gotten used to saying, well, maybe we should just sit down and discuss and get that's cozy right. with people who hate our way of doing things. Um, and eventually God's they'll way. understand because that's how we raised our children. Eventually they'll understand and then we can move forward together. And I would say those churches tend to be quite weak and quite impotent compared to a church that knows this is this is how we do it and we're doing it. And some people are going to hate it and we're going to move forward anyways. So um, it's more than just it, the implications are greater than just your kids. But that's great. I, I, I describe obedience as a skill because it's something that uh, can be taught and practiced and learned. Um, believing that you're loved is important. You know, it's important for like, um, that sort of attachment relationship that we all need with our parents. And when you have that attachment and the conviction, it's just a belief. My parents will always be there and they love me no matter what, you know, that's definitely what's supposed to happen in the first year of your life is this belief. My parents are always there. They're going to provide for me. They'll always be there. And then of course you can make that, um, you can make that transfer to God. You believe that about God. He's always going to be there for me. I believe that he loves me. It's a belief. Obedience isn't a belief. It is a practice and it takes skill and you have to do it. So the, let me just make these statements for you to chew on. The most important skill you could teach your children before they leave you for a career or to get married is how to obey the most important skill your child could learn before they leave your home is how to obey. Now, I think understanding the connection between obeying you and obeying God is where there's a lot of outage for people. And they think that a child could uh, have a pretty low batting average when it comes to obeying me. And I can put up with it, but when it comes, but then when they really know God, the wonder and awesomeness of the unseen God, that that I I have a hope, I have a I have a fantasy, I would say, that they are then going to follow him explicitly and without question. And what I would love to grab everyone's shoulders and shake them as I say to them lovingly would be that learning to obey you, this is the way God set up humanity. It's why he's put us in families. Psalm 68, God put us into families. He did it intentionally. The reason that he put us into families is because learning to obey your parent, that is the scrimmage before the big game of obeying God. It's where we learn how to do this thing. And if your child cannot obey you, who they can see, and interact with and feel loved by, you know, they get to feel your hugs and they get their questions answered immediately. You, you are foolish to think that they're going to obey God who they cannot see, who requires faith for any interaction with him. And they often don't get their questions answered ever with him. You can ask him questions. You can search the scriptures. Sometimes you don't find an answer to your questions with God. Your relationship with your children is their office work for the main event of knowing and hearing and obeying God. So key is it that there is one main command in all of scriptures for children. I don't know if you thought about that, where God actually talks to children and he gives them one command. And it's not, get this, it's not love God or pray or read your Bible. The one command God gives to children is, Mark, I put that on the T nice and high. You can pull out your big fat driver. What is it? It's obey your parents. Children, obey your parents 
in the Lord. There's the context of in the Lord, because this is what's right for you. Not gonna, I, I think God might say, I'm not even going to explain it to you, but this is what's right. Honor your father and mother. That's a repetition of Moses's law. It's repeated many times in the Bible, including in Colossians. We're, and we're reading, we're quoting out of Ephesians 6 right now. Um, honor your father and mother that it might go well with you and you might live long upon the earth. It's the first command with a promise. I said to the students that I spent time with over the last month, raise your hand if you want God on your side for everything you'll ever do for the rest of your life. Anybody interested in that? Yeah, we're all interested in that. Let me ask you listening to this. Are you interested in that for your children? That it might go well for them, that they might have God's favor when they're shopping for mortgages, when they're looking for houses in their 30s, when they're wondering where they should live and who they should marry. Are you interested in them having God's favor? Well, here's a tip, parents. Set them up to obey you. And tell them that that is your expectation, that your children will obey you. I didn't say obey God. That comes later. Obey you. Honor your father and mother, that it might go well with you, and you might live long upon the earth. I I wish I could pull this belief, this understanding out of my heart and stick it into other people's hearts when I see this kind of syrupy, myopic faux compassion that people feel for their children when they're throwing tantrums, when they're disobeying, when they're embarrassing their parents in front of others. And they, they indulge their children out of this false syrupy, I don't know what to call it. It, it, The Bible wouldn't call it love. Indulgence is probably the best word when really you're, you're really setting your children up for a lifetime of pain. Now, I said that there's a, there's one main command to, to, to fathers, to fathers, and that and it is that teaching them the, the, um, the training and God's word. But there's a whole bunch of commands in the Proverbs that are about disciplining your children because it's serving that main purpose. And... Uh, we're not here to mainly talk about discipline, but I'll just say that discipline is a tool that's supposed to serve you training your children how to obey. And when when parents refuse to do that with their kids, I, I my heart goes out first to the kids because I know that what is happening to them is that there's their ceiling for maximum life and favor and uh, fullness going forward, that life is dropping. I mean, that ceiling, sorry, that ceiling is dropping for them as the parents indulge them and let them be demanding and be slow to obey. And the children and the, and the parents will lower the bar. Okay, you don't have to come right to me. Here, I'll meet you halfway. Okay, you don't have to come all the way. Turn and face me. Would you speak to me? I mean, it's crazy uh, what what parenting looks like in this day and age and how far we've fallen from this biblical standard, which is train your children how to obey. Here's a side note. God will not count your child's future church attendance as this person loves me. Nor will he care if they have a Bible in their home. He won't see that and go, I know I've got a good relationship with that little Johnny Johnny Miller, because he's got that Bible in his house, and he, and he occasionally goes inside the church house. Nor will he care if they listen to Christian radio or like the wonderful worship songs that the parents did. Here's what God says, John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, that's the one that loves me. That, that, that refrain ha- happens over and over and over and over in the Bible. The one who has my commands and does them, that's the one that loves me. And Jesus says, the man who um, says that he loves me and then doesn't do what I say, that freaking drives God crazy. 
Um, and Jesus said, I think this is Luke 6, 46. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord all the time? You don't do what I say. There's no obedience present. So it's a huge, it's a huge deal, this command to, to have your children obey. So my plea to parents, I'm going to make four pleas, fathers especially, that's who I'm talking to, is one, please, this is, couldn't be a more obvious statement, but it's a centerpiece of what I want to say to you today. Please teach your children how to obey. Tell them your expectations of them and outline the consequences if they don't. We have to put some guardrails on them to say, this is the road I want you going down. Now, if you go into this ditch, it'll be painful. If you go into this ditch, it'll be painful. If you go down the middle of obedience, everything will be great. And I, I don't mind, uh, we've talked about uh, child training before. Um, I don't mind rewarding obedience if it's in the, if it's in the name of training, but uh, we ought to get to a place where our children's hearts are with us. And so obedience can be expected of them. And that's just natural because it's, it's built into our relationship. The, 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 the quality of obedience is built into our parenting relationship with our children. So I think that part of that, part of training them to obey is to tell them what your expectations are. I mean, I, you got to baby step that and you got to say, okay, we're going to go to dinner at the Jones's house tonight. There's going to be a point when I say, I can't tell you how many times I've said this kind of thing to my children. There'll be a time tonight when you'll hear me clap twice. You guys are out playing, you're out in the pool, whatever. You'll hear me clap twice and I'll say, okay, it's time for dinner. My expectation is when I say those words, you don't tell me, let us finish this game. We're right in the middle of this. Give us five more minutes. My expectation is you stop what you're doing and you come stand before me, or you can say whatever you want. You can say, go dry off with whatever you want to say, but something like that. I want you to stand before me. We'll talk about what you're doing. If Well, we're two points away from finishing this game. Okay. But that's what I want done. Um, and if it's not done, I've decided we're going to leave their house 30 minutes early tonight or whatever. To, that's part of training a child to obey is telling them, here are exactly my expectations. This is what I want you to do. And here will be the consequences. And then, by golly, my second ask is, would you please, please follow through with the consequences that you've outlined? Please don't add chances. Please don't count to five if you didn't say that you're going to count to five. Just do what you said that you would do. If you change the rules of following you, you're training them that when it comes to God, they could expect him to change the rules as well. Well, he would indulge me, I'm sure, if I drag my feet. I'm, maybe he'll count to five in some cosmic way. Maybe he'll give me a year and a half to do that thing that he told me to do, etc., we just don't have any of those kind of uh, guarantees scripturally that God does anything but expect immediate obedience from us. So please, would you please, for their sake, I'm begging you on behalf of your ch children's souls, would you follow through on what you say? And would you be consistent with them? And so give them an accurate picture of what God is like. He is totally faithful He's totally consistent and he always does what he says. So those are my first two, please. Mark, I've been rambling. No, Give me a I, break. I think that you, you kind of got there on this one with an example, but where I, you know, you said you can't do this. You, you can't change the rules all of a sudden. Uh, and uh, for a lot of people that are listening to this, they're probably saying, well, we haven't been doing this. We hear you. How do I go from a culture of we count to 10 and then we count to 20 after that, you know, that type of stuff to a culture of expecting obedience without violating that command about not provoking the children to anger because it's not fair to a kid who's never been uh, required to obey, to show up and suddenly become 
the drill sergeant snap to obey every word I say right now. So are you going to give us some transition steps between we're out of whack here and where we want to get? What a heartbreaking question. Um, I, I, I wish that I was talking to, you know, like, uh, people who are pregnant with their first child and they're thinking, yeah, we, boy, that's right. We do need to do that. But I know that what you're saying is true, Mark. There are probably uh, a lot of people, I can't guess at percentages, but a lot of people who are listening who are going like, well, our kids are eight years old and we have done this shell game with them of moving the finish line for eight years. And we're all enculturated into this culture. How could we possibly change that? I got a, I've got a hard answer to that question because I have dealt with families in this situation. The first thing I think you should do if you have a seven, eight year old is that I think you should sit down as a family and I think you should repent to your children. And I think that you should say that God tells us to obey We see here in Ephesians 6 that we're supposed to be teaching you to obey. And we realize you give them a recent example that will be very helpful for them. When we told you to get into the car and then you kicked and squealed and then we physically put you into the car and then we told you to put the seatbelt on and then you didn't do it. And then we came back there and we put the seatbelt on for you. And then we told you to put the Coke down and you didn't do that. And then we said, that's fine. You can just have it. We failed in all of those ways. And we, we apologize because we're not teaching you how to obey and we're going to do, we're going to change things. We're going to do better. And we are apologizing before God. Mom and I have talked about this and we're just telling you that things are going to be different. Realizing that that's a culture change, the very next time you call little Johnny in, Johnny, now listen, remember how we said we're changing things? All right, I'm asking you to unload the dishwasher right now, and I I want you to know this is going to be that first time where I really expect you to do it, and I'm going to stand here to help you. Because if I just said, Johnny, unload the dishwasher, and I walked into the next room, I know that you wouldn't do it. I'm going to stand here while you do it. And when you, when you do that, I'm going to cheer for you, buddy, that I'm, I'll be so happy for you. And I will hug you. And I'll say, that's the way to obey because we're going to be an obeying family. And if you don't do it, um, I'll just tell you again, I'm not thinking of getting into child training, just a real simple thing around for us is we had paint sticks, those real thin little paint stirrer sticks. And we always made a big deal of to put that on skin, whether it's the top of the hand or, or a leg, you know, around the knee or something. We're not creating pain. The the goal is not pain. It's just to go, hello, hello, I'm here. I need you to, I'm, I'm following you. And the kid will look at you like, what is this? You're going like, we need you to move here. We're, we're going to stand here until you obey. And you might have crying on your hands and you might have a tantrum on your hands and parents, you got to win that battle of wills because we've got to get our children from a place of disobedience and selfishness into a place of obedience. So I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. I think the one thing that you said a little bit there is that it's what you described is almost a training exercise. And so I... I think that one of the great places to start if you were in that spot of we've just never done this and we would like to is to think about training exercises. That doesn't mean you're not going to require obedience in a training exercise, but it does mean the stakes are low. So we aren't at the friend's house expecting the kids to come in for dinner because our good friend just made a beautiful Shabbat table and we are expecting our kids to perform there there's high consequence to failure on this front but if i'm you know in my backyard on a saturday and we're just hanging out and i go hey especially this i think this is the sweet spot for age two through eight um we in that spot i might go hey i 
like we talked about and dad did this repenting thing about obedience. Let's practice it now. So I would like you guys to, and then come up with some things. Uh, the young kids, it can literally be things that don't matter at all. I want you to move all of those balls to there. Uh, as they get older, I do think it's it's valuable to not just have them moving stuff around the yard and say, I would like you to pick up all the dog poops in the backyard. And, you know, I'm going to be sitting here and that's great. Um, but but the, the point is, whether you call it training game or whether it's just low consequence practice time, uh, if you're making the transition from having never done this to doing it, do it in places where failure doesn't create anger or tension or stress in you because you'll be so much cooler headed. You can be uh, compassionate and you can also be uh, firm where you don't, you're not tempted to go, Oh, to heck with it. I'm just going to fall back to what I used to do and start counting to 10 or whatever. You're in a spot where low consequence. So Actually, I would say take this skill out and start practicing it with your kids if it's something you've never done. Yes. Um, and I, I would reiterate that it, that it has to be trained. Right. So there have to, yes, there have to be real time things that happen and there should be time given that's like, <laughs> it's hobby time. I mean, my, my life for decades was, is dinner over now? Is dinner cleaned up? Because it's time to pick up a basketball and go shoot baskets for 45 minutes. I mean, that was just my life. Absolutely. Why? That's my hobby. Uh, that's what I do. This is spare time that I've got. When my children were those ages that you're describing, Mark, it was 10 minutes every single night of child training. It wasn't heavy. The children were the children loved it. They thought this was fun time with dad. And what we were training in was obedience. And it was just, we do this. Now do this. Now I'm telling you to do this. And I what did I do when they obeyed? I praised them. It there there wasn't anything harsh about it. It wasn't unhappy. And and I can guarantee you, my wife is sitting over there with a huge grin on her face as dad is training children to obey. And her esteem goes up for me. My self-esteem and dignity goes up. And I feel to myself, I'm, I'm trying to do this, Lord. I'm trying to run a house. And I'm thinking to myself all the time. I still think it to this day. God, I'm trying to produce children who will end up as good disciples for you. That's why I'm that's why I'm helping these people. I want them to have this skill so that when you tell them to build an ark in the desert, they won't cross their arms and go, "Now what is how does that work? What is that about?" They will just have hearts of obedience. And if you say to my children, "I want you to go to a land that I will show you," they'll go like, "I know how to do this. I know how to obey and not ask questions." So, I've given you two of my pleas. Please, te- please just make a decision. I want. To, I'm going to teach my children how to obey. Secondly, I'm going to follow through with the consequences that I outline. My third plea is: Would you please? Little interruption here. Thought from left field. Uh, as I uh, insert myself into whatever was going on there, I have found a little poem that I would like to read to you all might sound trite it's not we used to have something called a orator's corner which we tried out a few times on the podcast and that's kind of what i'm going to do today i'm going to read to you a poem that is a favorite of my mother's that she read to us many times while i was growing up and i didn't understand it then and i understand it now um, it's a little poem called To Any Daddy. Where my mother found it, it's, it's credited to Croft M. Pence in the Speaker's Treasury of 400 quotable poems. When Paul was talking to Timothy about the gospel, he said, you know from whom you learned it. Bible teacher Tommy Nelson makes the point that a who outweighs a what every time, meaning Paul reminded Timothy of his godly mother and grandmother. Their lives uh, validate what we teach about the gospel. Anyways, here's the poem, To Any Daddy. 
There are little eyes upon you, and they're watching night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands, all eager to do everything you do. And a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. You're that little fellow's idol. You're the wisest of the wise. In his little mind about you, no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devoutly, holds that all you say and do, he will say and do in your way when he's grown up like you. There's a wide-eyed little fellow who believes you're always right, and his ears are always open, and he watches day and night. You are setting an example every day in all you do for the little boy who's waiting to grow up to be like you. It's uh, touching. It's a little bit haunting. And I want to be your reminder today that your children are not evaluating you by and large. Maybe if they're a certain age, they, they are. But by and large, they are not evaluating you. They are simply making recordings of you in their brains and in their hearts. And if you say something to them like, um, the Bible is important, but they see you investing in everything but the Bible, uh, they don't believe those words. They believe in your activity. If they say, I really love your mother, which is a good thing to say to your children, by the way, I really love your mother, but they don't see you demonstrating that, their whole world skews as to what love is and whether it is demonstrated or not. It's a huge responsibility that we have to simply live out lives as models and examples to our children. And I don't think this means that you have to be perfect in front of them. I do think it means that you have to be honest in front of them. And when you fail, you should repent in front of your whole family. You should confess when you're wrong. Son, I lost my temper back there. That's not right. In some ways, that's better than being perfect in front of your children because you're demonstrating when they fail, which they will, that to um, confess your sins is a good thing. Anyways, I love this little poem. I love the reminder. This poem hung inside uh, my kitchen on the cabinet for me to look at for about five years while my children were young um, and impressionable. And I think it's a great reminder for all of us that our children are indeed watching us and they're watching us to emulate us. So I'll get you back to the content. See you later. My third plea is would you please simply expect obedience from your children going forward? Expect them to obey you and deal with them consistently when they don't. Not because you're so angry at being disrespected. I'm, I, I actually don't see much of that anymore. We're all so soft pushovers. Uh, I think maybe self-respect has been so bludgeoned that we don't feel disrespected. I just see a lot of dads, their kids walk all over them and they, they're not even embarrassed. So it's not that we're, we're so angry that you've disrespected me, because you, but because you know that instant obedience is a skill that they can learn, and they're supposed to learn it on your watch. They're supposed to walk out of your house with that skill intact. And if you don't give that to them, you have done them a grave disservice, and you will be apologizing to God because he told you to do it. He told you to do it. So we, we're, we're here like, you know, begging and pleading and trying to help towards this stuff. And, and if this is, if you're just listening to this episode for the first time, I'll just throw in, we did an episode on how dads have to be in submission. Dads have to obey. And unless you're, have been sleeping under a rock, uh, for the last decade, the culture is completely opposed to you doing this with your children. They don't want you to teach your children how to obey. And if you do, if you um, require obedience from your children in some public places, they're going to call child protective services or something on you. There will be people there. The vultures will swarm. And I'm just telling that's kind of why we exist is because these things don't exist in our culture anymore. 
Um, there, there is just a dearth of people that are encouraging us to do it. And I just want to hold the Bible up to you as a friend and say, listen, if you don't know this is an expectation of you as a parent, it is. Dad, you're going to meet up with dad sometime. You're going to sit before dad and he's going to say, what was it like when I gave you those kids in your house? Didn't I tell you to teach them how to obey? Well, yeah, but I didn't know how seriously to take that or whatever your thing will be. I just, we just want to be friends to you. We want to be friends to your home and so that you can raise your family in a kingdom way. Fourth plea, my last plea is that I'm begging you to please toughen up internally. Wives will represent mercy a lot of times, and that's good. And they can also be pulse checkers so that you don't lose it if you're prone to anger. So listen to them. But please don't lower your expectations of your children because your wife, for instance, get, gets worn out because she's with them all day. Totally understand that. It's hard work. My heart goes out to a wife that has five little kids around And she's just like, I just can't keep all of the sharp edges all day. I can't keep the beds made and the laundry going. And I can't make sure that every kid is obedient all the time. I just can't keep up with it all. Totally understand that. And dads, don't let that make you lower your expectations on your children. At least have it an ambition. I'm just begging that it would be an ambition to you that your children would obey instantly, joyfully, and without question. When, if your wife ever says you're too hard on the kids, what does she mean by that? She might mean, uh, my parents were never hard on me. She might mean when you talk obedience, you always do it with anger. That would be a problem. She might mean, uh, you're making your kids look different from the neighbors because you always enforce instant obedience. I mean, I, I have, gotten those looks from the neighbors before, like, uh, what are you doing? And mine, kids will always say this to you. Well, nobody, the other kids don't do that. And I'm, I've got a real easy answer for that, which is I'm not their dad. They're not in my family. And if they were in my family, they would have these, they would have these expectations. So you will need to toughen up. And in some cases, um, you, you, you might have a, an extra fight on your hands because this is outside of the culture of your home and experience, and you might have to, um, deal with your wife and opposing her and it kind of going like, honey, I, I got, we've got to go back to the scriptures. We got to see not what the culture has to say to us. What are, what does God have to say to us? I would say that's a much more important conversation than the one in, in uh, struggling with your kids. And, and fellas, if you need to oppose her for the sake of truth, and you can do that in a loving way, you, you should oppose her for, on, on this topic. It matters that much. Um, but you're going to answer to God for it. So I, I see you're itching to say something. No, I'm not. I, I think that's a hard but true uh, fact of this discussion. And really this is something when I talk to guys about marriage in general, I ask them, do you ever oppose your wife and stick to your guns on that? Or does, does reconciliation always look like you sort of acknowledging that you were wrong if you went against your wife? Um, I just, so, you know, I know we have ladies listening and I, my wife would say the same thing to women. So this is not unique to guys, but, uh, there are times where you are going to say, yep, I disagree and I'm going this direction and you'll come alongside or not, but I'm not, I'm not going to flip on this one, uh, in all sorts of things in marriage. And it shouldn't be the norm. I don't think that you go around saying, well, uh, I oppose you and I'm the leader. So that's how it'll be. (laughs) If that's your day to day, then you have some problems that need immediate attention. Um, but at the same time, if you never, uh, are comfortable getting to a place where you say, yeah, I just, that's, that's not where we're going. Um, if that, if that sounds like something you would never do, I'm going to say there's a very good chance that you might not be leading in a biblical manner as a father. So, uh, hard truth, 
like like I said, or like you said at the beginning, most of the guys we talk to, their problem is not um, that they're overbearing. I know that no. in the past, I think that was probably a big problem in marriages where husbands were harsh to their wives and overbearing yes. and cruel and all these things. Even some of the things going back to last week that we saw in the Duggar documentary, there were definitely some gross things happening inside of marriages in that community. In my experience with the guys I talk to, that is not nearly as likely to be the sin of choice as I am completely willing to do whatever my wife tells me to do and shunt all of my responsibility so that she stays happy. I want to I want to do a little uh, uh, addendum on this. I meant to say this up front because the the main thing that as we're told, the command is regarding your children to have them obey um, and train them for, for prepare them for God in that way. Um, When I think of leading your home, I do believe that a father's leadership would mean that there's obedience from the top down in a home. Um, I'm just going to throw out this verse just because I know it exists. It really is there in Ephesians five. Uh, in verse 21, it says, let's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're, we are, I'm, I'm going to say this again. We believe that that submission and that heart of obedience begins at the top of the home with dad. We also believe that that trickles down all the way through the family. The very next verse says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Two verses later, it says, submit to your husbands in everything. That is obey them in everything but you're not hearing me talking about that today. You know why? Because there's not a verse in the Bible that tells fathers or husbands to make their wives obey them or train your wife how to obey you or make sure that she's submitting to you. I don't see that anywhere in scripture and it really um, concerns me Anytime any man would ever say to his wife something along the lines of, you're not really submitting to me, are you? Do you really think you're submitting? Now, I think it's great when a wife would come to a husband. We, we have done this as a practice in our marriage where my wife would come to me and say, how do you think I'm doing in submission? And I would say to her, how do you think I'm doing in laying down my life for you? That, those are great, humble questions, but there's nothing that tells us that a husband would want to check in with his wife saying, here's what I think of how you're obeying. I think that's completely out of line, but I don't see that with children because we're supposed to be training them in how to obey. So going back to the documentary, the Duggars, am I to believe that you do not do what was outlined in that documentary and use the practice of spanking one's spouse for punishment? What, I, you, did, was that mentioned that, that, in that documentary? Uh, yeah, they talked about kind of when they tried to malign the Pearl family, they talked about spanking children. And then the, there was a lady who it sounds like had a truly horrible experience where the husband would paddle her, uh, effectively. And, and, you know, spanking makes it sound cute or even so it, it sounded like she was just abused but that's insanity um yeah i know that's not what you guys are up to i just <laughs> thought it was another chance to talk about one of the totally bananas moments in that show right um, so no that's good i i think <laughs> i'm gonna steal that from you and start asking you know <laughs> the question that we've used in our marriage is just I would ask, do you feel loved by me? And Mm. there's been times where I always thought, man, my marriage is great. We have a pretty easy time getting along, smooth sailing. And I've asked that question and the answer was a quick, not right now, uh, not for the past two months. Mm. And that can unearth all sorts of things. And going back to our our mantras, like that can, you can talk through five capitals pretty fast there. Like right. the, the root could be a spiritual one. It could be a financial thing. It could be a physical thing. There's just, there's so much that could possibly be there where as a husband, I'm just not as sensitive as my wife on a lot of that stuff. So sure. um, 
asking your wife, do you feel loved by me? How do you feel loved by me? And then I think the, the way you asked it is even better, the biblical language of how am I doing it, laying my life down for you? Um, and husbands, do that. Even if your wife does not turn around and go, how am I doing it submitting to you? I think it's still a good, good thing to try out. Absolutely right. Totally agree with that. Because uh, I say this when counseling couples, um, wife, uh, he is not accountable to you on how well he is uh, laying down his life. He's accountable to the Lord for that. Wife, you're not accountable to him for how well you're uh, obeying and submitting. You're accountable to the Lord for that. I really think that that should be regular. Those two issues should be regular conversations in your in your same sex groups. You know, like when I'm with my buddies, we should be talking about laying our our lives down, especially if it's a new if it's a new husband in a new marriage. Talk about, hey man, this is a this is a new muscle, uh, and I know it's painful. How's it going? Let's talk about it because this is something you you got to do. But I I I would really caution against women ever throwing that in your husband's face. You're not exactly laying down your life for me. And I would say the same thing to men. Don't say to your wife, you're not exactly submitting to me right now. Not cool. Uh, it's, it's between her and the Lord. So anyhow, uh, I just wanted to kind of finish this series by saying we talked about uh, how a dad submits. We talked about what the culture says about obedience and then that there has to be a culture of obedience in your home. It's not, if I haven't said this explicitly enough, it's not because it makes it easier for me as the leader of my home, although it does, for sure it does. And I know for a fact that I enjoy my children. I can't really say that I love my children more, but I enjoy my children much more than my peers who don't have obedient children. I enjoy them much more. I love to spend time with them. They're so fun. There's so, so much joy there. Um, it's because this is what the Lord requires. And we can see that we are setting up children to know him and to follow him. And if I want my home to be a kingdom home, there must be the smell of obedience in my family. It starts with me, but it doesn't end with me. It goes all the way down the line for me. And and the command, by the way, for here's here's a capper for you. The command, whether it's our, our own children or anyone we'll influence for the rest of our lives, here's the command, which is why we're even doing this series right now. There's a command. It's, a, a, it's the final one to us. It's like the final assignment. We refer to it as the Great Commission. It's the end of Matthew 28. And Jesus says right before he leaves earth, he says to us, um, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And everybody kind of leans forward with notebooks in hand, with their pencils ready, going, tell us what that means to, to make disciples. And he says, teach them how to obey everything that I've commanded you. Huh. Teach people how to obey. Yes. And then tell them what you command. Yes. That's how you make disciples. And we want disciples in our homes, and we want disciples on our down live, downline everywhere we go. Here, here. So would you like to spend uh, five minutes on post-episode banter? Sure. Hit me. So, Steve, this is the last time you and I will talk. I think by the time this episode releases, I might be back. Uh, but I am headed tomorrow morning to Europe for a couple of weeks. Wow! And in preparation, I know we've talked a little bit about this on the Abraham's Wallet podcast, but um, about my affinity for sneakers, you, you know this, yeah? Yes, it's a, it's kind of like a perverse fetish of yours. Well, yesterday I bought this shoe that I'm holding up right here in the YouTube channel, um, and it's truly was was painful for me because I am experiencing. I'm about to go on a trip where I'm going to be walking all day long, every day. I don't know that there's much exercise harder than museum visiting for a whole day. Um, but I've been experiencing some pretty severe plantar fasciitis. Have you ever, mm. have you ever had that? You'll have to describe it to me. It's where the bottom of your foot right by the heel 
hurts really bad. Uh, no. Anyways, it's taken some of our favorite NBA fantasy players out of commission for weeks and weeks. Sad. And so I go into this special store in Salt Lake City that's a rain. It's they only sell special shoes for plantar fasciitis. And for the most part, if you're not an NBA player, this is a disease of the the elderly. And the lady in there looks at me and goes, well, we haven't had anyone your age in here in a long time. And you can imagine, I looked at the wall of options and thought, this is going to be pretty bad. There's not a lot of fashion <laughs> options. Like, I agree when I look at the choices. Yeah. So it's your clunky square leather hiking shoe. <laughs> uh, and I had bought some sneakers specifically for this trip. Those aren't going to make it now because I am going to wear these terrible things. But hopefully... I will come back a new man. Supposedly these shoes can fix your problems in a couple weeks. So we'll see. Okay. Um, give me some, let's talk finance real quick. Did you, uh, did you say that, that the prices had been dropping for Europe and that's why you got these tickets? Was that the case? Flights were still expensive. Exchange rates are pretty good right now with the Euro. So that could play in our favor. Uh, compared to a couple years ago, right? So we're at about 1.2 to 1. Uh, and so I'll just say France and Italy, not a budget vacation, uh, okay. no matter how you slice it. I, okay. Maybe in the olden days of hostels and backpacks, um, but this is going to cost me more than my pickup did for sure. Okay. Um, wow. Holy as a family strong. trip. Okay, so tell me what the what's the itinerary? Paris for the first four days, fly to Rome for a few days, head to Florence for a couple days. So we are we. Paris isn't a very safe place to be right now. Yeah, I don't know if that's totally true. I've talked to two people who have been there with their families in the past week, and both told me you couldn't tell at all that anything was going on. Um, I do think there's, it's kind of like Portland, I think during the, the madness where there's specific places where you might see a crowd brewing. Most of those are in the suburbs. Um, but you know, don't go brew up a Molotov cocktail and chuck it at the County courthouse. That would be unwise. Right. But, uh, for the most part, I'm not too worried about that. I guess if we got there and it was wild, maybe we'd channel on out and spend a couple of days in London instead, something like that. Okay, so you said Paris first, then what? Rome. Uh-huh. And then Florence. Uh-huh. A quick four-hour stop in Pisa, just long enough to experience the Leaning Tower and <laughs> right. a quick tour of the town. Um, it's like totally remote, and that's the only thing to see there. Well, it's kind of like seeing Mount Rushmore. It's like a long r drive to get to one thing. We just had a, a train from Florence to Cinque Terre um, and Pisa's right in the middle. So I said we could get off the train and see this tower. Okay. And so that, that Cinque Terre is right in the middle of the trip. That'll be a like a three-day beach time to just chill and kind of relax from the constant tourism and museums and antiquities. Um then back to Rome for a couple of days and then back to Paris for the last four days. So we've, we kind of took a, a uh, piece of advice you gave me and used Paris sort of as our home base and then zipped over to Italy in the middle and, and came back to Paris at the end. Okay. So we'll and see. And what kind of places are you staying in? We're staying at vacation rentals. Uh, basically, we had too many people to fit into hotels without it being truly absurdly expensive. Like apartments kind of? Yeah. So I wanted three bedroom places uh, everywhere yeah. we stayed. So it's um, it's going to be, that, that's probably part of my, my belly aching over the cost is that we did spend quite a bit on accommodations. And are you training to all these places or are you flying? The Paris to Rome will be a flight. Okay. Inter-Italy transit will happen on a train. Okay. And why did why did Cinque Terre make the list? Um, Amelia had been there back in college and thought it was ah. really cool. And okay. so we were kind of looking for, hey, this is going to be so much just uh, constant 
learning type of stuff and seeing <laughs> it would be nice to be a kind of seaside slow pace for a couple of days and so that felt like a good option i'm sure that when we get to the end of this i'll say we we tried to do way too much in way too little time but yeah it's but that's the, your way that is the parrot way is we uh we go hard whether we're on trips or sporting events or whatever all right well uh, people will have either me or me and, and other people until we see you again. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be doing live from Europe, but I will be doing my best to provide updates in the travel channel of our oh, that'd uh, be really fun. Our little circle group. So Abraham's Wallet Insiders will get a chance to AWHQ experience our wonderful donors the parrot vacation vicariously through Circle. Lovely. <clears throat> and maybe you could throw up maybe you could throw up a little video tweet or something while you're out there and we could see the lovely scenery and the seaside and all that sort of thing and and uh rioters you could throw out a little rioter video yeah i might I, I don't know i feel like it'd be if you're gonna get involved in a riot i'd rather do it in in europe than in the united states <laughs> They're not the most stylish rioters they're not nearly as armed as we are right yeah yeah so it's just- All right, sweet. Thanks for uh, thanks for telling us. It'll be interesting to follow you. Hey, if you liked this content, be sure to like it and subscribe and share it with somebody. And remember, no matter how you're doing and leading your family, God's love for you is huge, and His grace is greater.